Hello, and welcome to this episode of Corners of the World, which is all about Colombia. Colombia has an interesting history with football. It was banned from participating in FIFA competitions in the 1950s, and most of the successes in the late 1980s and early 1990s could be attributed to the influence of money coming from drug gangs and cartels. However, the international team has now emerged as a force for good, portraying a positive image of Colombia to the world which its citizens can be proud of. For this episode, I was joined by Simon Edwards, a journalist of South American football with World Football Index, who is based in Colombia. In a packed interview, we discussed the identity and unity that both the men's and women's national teams create, how different regions of the country have their own footballing identity, the big rivalries across the league, and the positive impact that the Colombia Barris fan groups have had in their communities. So make yourself a cup of coffee and enjoy the discussion. Thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to it. Always happy to talk about Colombian football. Spread the good word uh, and talk about some of the, the issues, opportunities and, uh, and the way football is over here in Colombia. Yeah, and well, Colombia's got the chance this year to show itself on the world stage as it's going to be one of the co-hosts for the Copa America. Is there a lot of excitement around this in Colombia at the moment? Yeah, I mean, still quite a, a lot of uncertainty. Um, two of the, so with the Copa America, there's always uh, two invited countries and those aren't going to be participating this year. Um, it looks as though we are going ahead. They're looking at potentially inviting two more from outside the region. So it's the 10 South American nations plus two others. So it's going to be jointly held in Colombia and Argentina uh, with two groups. This is the first time they're going to have this format. Um, again, in terms of uh, the, the excitement, I mean, people are excited about the world slowly coming back to some sort of normality. Um, there has been a, a call here in Medellin from the two big clubs to maybe start having some fans back in the stadium. We're a long way off in terms of vaccines, but it's begun the process and things do seem fairly under control more generally in terms of numbers at the moment. So uh, we'll have to see what shape the Copa America takes. I think people are waiting to see how things uh, develop but uh, yeah obviously it's a competition that's that's important it's it's not quite the world cup and we do have world cup qualifiers here in south america featuring all 10 teams but to have a, a month where we have constant games every few days is always always exciting and and football is such a big big thing and particularly international football here in south america that everyone will be wearing a, a colombia shirt and everyone will be watching the games uh, if and when they happen uh, this summer is there kind of anticipation that Colombia are going to do well in this tournament after probably a disappointing World Cup in 2018 where they weren't able to follow up their quarterfinal appearance from the tournament before and crashed out on penalties to England? Yeah, so um, since 2018, so 2018 was Peckerman, uh, who was the manager who had taken Colombia to their first World Cup in 2014, where Colombia really despite eventually losing to Brazil, um, really did kind of capture the imagination in that tournament. Uh, James was, was top scorer. It was, it was a great, great time to be a fan of Colombian football. 2018, again, expectations were slightly higher. And I think, you know, James missing was important. I also think against England in particular, uh, Colombia perhaps were a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous. The game was an ugly game all around, I think. And it's interesting how in Colombia they see as England to blame for that ugly game. And in England, they seem to blame Colombia. Um, but I think we can all agree that it wasn't wasn't a great game. Obviously, England got the, the win and penalties in the end. Um, so since then, they, they, they appointed Carlos Quiros. And he's now left already. 
Uh, he tried to make sweeping changes and try and play a kind of more 4-3-3, aggressive, attacking, pressing style. Uh, Rueda's come in recently, and I think he's going to be going back to that 4-2-3-1 Colombia played um, prior to Quiros. Uh, I think he's probably going to look to the, the important players, your Cuadrados, your Hammers, to you know remain very important and kind of build a system around them for for the next two or three years we still have them at, at their best but I think there's good talent coming through I think South America and Colombia you know there's a lot of pessimism and over optimism so we'll swing between the two I think right now the sense is that Colombia has one of its strongest squads ever but we need to work out how we're going to use all that talent I think uh Duvan Zapata in attack is excellent. There's lots of good defence midfielders. Luis Diaz in Portugal is really good. Cuadrado is still there. Hammers is still there. There's plenty of quality uh, in that Colombia squad. It's just a case of finding the balance. There was tensions um, with the star players and, and the drastic change in approach under Quiros. So I think uh, Rueda is more of a safe bet. I think he's going to keep things a little bit simple. And I think with the quality Colombia have, they should be contenders for the Copa America. Do you think that a lot of the quality in the Colombian squad comes from a lot of these players playing abroad? And is it a pathway that most players in Colombia feel they have to take in order to be in contention for selection in the international squad? Yes, I think um, if you look back at Colombia, for example, they didn't go to the World Cup between 1998 and 2014. And that was a period where the one or two players playing abroad were kind of the star men. You know, it, it was a period where Rodo Diego was the big hope and there was Hamilton Ricard and, uh, you know, Juan Pablo Angel obviously was a good player. But those were very rare. Now, Colombia has, I would say there are players who aren't even in the Colombian squad, who's maybe 30 or 40 in line for, for a Colombian call up who would have been important players uh, 20 years ago. Now, going back to 94, 98, Colombia had a really strong squad, particularly 1994. But there was a real drop-off in quality in the early 2000s. A few exceptions, Ivan Cordova as well, were very good. But I think now Colombia has a lot of depth. And obviously a part of that is players moving abroad at an earlier stage. Um, if you're still playing in Colombia and you're 22, 23, something's probably gone wrong. Um, I think, you know, Colombian domestic football uh, obviously uh, had the role of the uh, drugs and organised crime in the 80s and early 90s, which made it, one of the best leagues in the world. Now, that isn't the case now. They were, at the time, buying up players from all over the world. Diego Maradona was very close to coming to play in Colombia at a time when the money was there, as well as the quality of the domestic game. They were also bringing in big foreign stars. That isn't the case now, but I think there's more stability in the game, more depth in the game. Many things still to work on domestically, but Colombia has excellent youth. It is a country that should be producing the best players in South America, in terms of many big urban centers, um, very a, a wide range of cultures and, and racial backgrounds. You get all sorts of players coming out of Colombia. Um, and I think that should all contribute to, to having excellent quality of player. So I think Colombia is getting closer to its potential, but I still think there's more to come. And yeah, of course, players moving abroad uh, is a, an important step in reaching their potential. Mm. So is the support for football nationwide or is it confined to certain regions of the country? And you see a lot of passionate fandom from maybe certain cities, but not across the entire country. Or is it just an obsession that's taken hold across everywhere? 
Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely nationwide. Um, and it's very interesting to look. Now, I would say youth football in Colombia is a huge, huge deal. There's an under-14s tournament that gets 20,000 fans to come into a games, televised. So the funny thing about Colombian football is up until under-20 level, it's in many ways more organised and more professional than it is in the adult game. Uh, and you'll get massive attendances for youth football games. People are really into it. Uh, whereas the professional game perhaps doesn't quite have that same level. There are maybe eight, nine, ten big, big clubs. And then the, the rest are kind of making up the numbers to some extent, or at least don't have a clear identity. So in the club game, I think that's one thing that's holding them back. Um, also, what you see is that each region of the country has a great reputation for producing a certain type of player. So the Caribbean coast is where you'll find a lot of your tricky, skillful, inventive forward players. Choco is, is the Pacific coast, uh, is, is a lot taller players. Cauca is a, is a region with villages that's produced uh, Jerry Mina, Davinson Sanchez, Cristian Zapata. And that's not a particularly built up urban centre, but it produces kind of physical characteristics which are well suited to certain positions. And then even Tumaco, a little town down by the Ecuadorian border, has produced a lot of the attacking fullbacks. So it's very interesting. Football's all over the country, but uh, and in terms of support, it's definitely all over the country. But for example, the capital, which is one of the biggest capitals in South America, Bogota, doesn't produce any youth players. That's not to say there's not crazy fan support, but they don't produce elite level youth players. They, they bring players from elsewhere in the country. So there's a lot of nuances. Colombia is a very diverse country. Uh, and the culture and the, you know, the, the, the way people speak, the food, the way people live is different across the country. But, you know, the passion for football is definitely something shared. And it's interesting how that expresses itself in terms of producing different styles of player and different physical characteristics and different approaches to the game, which uh, it should be a big bonus for Colombia. And I think is another reason why Colombia should be punching with Brazil and Argentina. Um, even if at times it doesn't. But I think it should be in that conversation, no doubt. Yeah, so do those regional types of players translate into the domestic clubs and you have those clubs in those regions playing a particular style of football against a completely different style of football? Or is there quite a specific way that football is played in the domestic league? Yeah, so there were definitely... I mean, it's not necessarily that the, the clubs in certain regions solely focus on player from that from that region but their recruitment will be influenced by so they'll, they'll they'll know the style of player they want to play they'll know where they have good recruitment and they'll try to build a style that marries the two so for example uh, santa fe which is bogota again bogota is not a city the style of play of santa fe maybe isn't always completely complementary to the players produced in bogota but they have a strong relationship with clubs in in the pacific region and they'll acquire the likes of Jedi Mina, who are taller, can play a more physical style. Uh, whereas, you know, the Caribbean coast is uh, the likes of Junior are perhaps not as physical or disciplined, but they're expressive and they're quick and they're creative. So there definitely is a connection between these, these networks. Uh, and, you know, uh, Envigado is a tiny little club near Medellin, very small fan base, but with a really good recruitment scouting network. And they brought through players. And again, they don't, they don't have, requirements in terms of physicality. So they brought through the likes of Quintero and James, Dolan Pavon, Mateo Soribe, Frank Fabra, John Cordova. Uh, they brought through a huge number of Colombian internationals. And that's because they have affiliates in 10 different regions of the country and they'll prioritize producing youth players. Whereas other teams 
have no interest in youth players. They'd rather have an experienced side that can compete. So that's probably one of the most interesting things in Colombia. Um, and and Cali is, is a key city, uh, mostly because they are the closest to the Pacific region. And that's where they do a lot of their recruitment. So they bring in a lot of these, you know, these great athletes, uh, the Duban Zapatas or, your, you know, these kind of physical players. Uh, and they'll come into to Cali and, and that's a natural move for those type of players. So it definitely does factor into the style of play as well uh, and the philosophies of the clubs. Yeah, and with the league in Colombia, it's structured very differently from those in Europe and pretty much everywhere else around the world. So could you just sort of briefly explain how it works, essentially? <laughs> yeah, so I think um, a thing to remember in Colombia is when when teams are playing well, the stadium will be packed and it will be the most incredible atmosphere you'll ever experience. You have 45,000 screaming and singing and just so involved in the game. So the atmospheres can be incredible, as good as anywhere in the world. However, the combination of the league system and just a traditional approach in Colombia is if the team's playing badly, nobody will turn up. <laughs> there will be the 5,000 hardcore fans, you know, from the big teams. However, that really is a big, a big difference between queuing for five hours to get a ticket for a big game when the team's playing well and having a half-empty stadium when the team's playing badly. Um, now, the league system is both uh, a reason for that and a response to that. So what they try to do is have as many important games as possible, as often as possible, and in particular, derby games. So Colombia as with a few areas of South America, has uh, an, an apertura and clausura, like an opening and closing season, which each lasts around four, four and a half months. And each team plays each other. There's 20 teams in the top division. They play each other twice. Plus, they have an extra game against the local rivals to again fill the stadium. And then the top eight go through to a, a playoff. And that can either be two groups of four with the top two going through to play the final, or can be quarterfinal, semifinal, final. They've changed it a few times over the years. Sometimes it depends on the calendar. If there's a World Cup, we do the quick away. Flexibility <laughs> keeps me on my toes as someone reporting on things. Um, so they have a playoff, which again, influences the way games are played. If you're comfortably in the top eight, you can basically stop trying. If you're well out of the bottom, you know, they're well out of the bottom, then again, you can stop trying because relegation is calculated over six seasons or three years and that means that teams that big teams can finish bottom and not really worry about it because they know that generally they'll be they'll get enough points so the points are calculated over three years or six seasons so it means that teams can start the season in a relegation battle before a ball's been kicked knowing that their average points is low also promoted teams adopt the the points total of the team they replace so you can get promoted to the top division everyone's happy and then you look at the average relegation table and you realize oh jesus we're 15 points off survival already so it's a very interesting uh, uh flexible <laughs> system that is based around keeping games interesting and exciting and important um uh, keeping fans in the stadium and keeping the big teams in the top division as much as possible it can happen. America de Cali were in the second division for years, and that's one of the great teams in Colombia. It's also hard work getting back up um, once you've gone down because, again, everything's set up to keep the big teams uh, in the top division. So it's an interesting one, um, but it, it does, does contribute to lots of meaningful games, uh, lots of finals, lots of 
you know, uh, the, the final game of the league season where everyone's trying to get in the top eight is a lot of fun. Think like relegation in the Premier League with maybe seven teams fighting for three spots on the same time and a goal's been scored over there. Now we need two goals. So that, that can be really fun. And then you have just the one-off final and you have these big semi-finals, which uh, is often where the neutral fan really gets engaged. Um, whereas the hardcore fan will will sit through the league season to qualify for the playoffs. Uh, but there, there we go. That's, Colombian football is interesting, if not complicated. Yeah, so which of the rivalries is the biggest? Which games are the most heated and the rivalries that you really want to be at to experience the atmosphere of? Sure. So, as I said, uh, Colombia has a few big urban centres. And the great thing is that they each have two teams uh, and a few extra smaller teams. But in terms of big teams, so you have Bogota, have Santa Fe and Millonarios. Now, Millonarios are the traditional powerful team of the country team with fans all over the place have a great history and then Santa Fe a team which is modeled after Arsenal um, also going back into Colombian history uh, the El Dorado period so there's been two periods where Colombian football has been a real force in terms of the strength of the league one is the the 80s 90s with the, the drugs money and whatnot and then going back further there's El Dorado period where Colombia wasn't registered to FIFA so they didn't have to pay transfer fees. And it was a time when uh, salaries were much lower. So Colombian clubs would just travel around the world with a literally a, you know, a briefcase full of cash and, and pick up superstars from England from all over. And Santa Fe had a lot of English players and they also had a kit, red and white, you know, with the white sleeves, inspired by Arsenal. Um, so those are the two teams in Bogota. Again, Millonarios, the traditional power. Santa Fe, seen as the local team of the people. Similar dynamic in Medellin with Atletico Nacional, uh, the green and white stripes. And they're the, the team of the region, the team of the country with fans all over the place. Uh, El Rey de las Copas, the king of the cups. You know, they're seen as a team based upon success and, and like national pride. And then there's Independiente, you know, Deportivo Independiente Medellin or DIM which is, again, the, city, the team of the city, the team of the people, the team of the... They're kind of like the rebellious the rebellious underdogs against the traditional power of, of Nacional. Um, so you have that in, uh, in, in Medellin and Bogota. Cali is something similar. America Cali, uh, the big team, the big national... You know, the big team. They got to four finals, four Libertadores finals in a decade and lost all of them in the 80s. But, again, a huge continental force. And then Deportivo Cali, again... The, sit, the team of the city, Deportivo Cali, is defined by their youth players and their, their, you know, the academy and, and, again, being kind of the rebellious upstarts to America. Uh, and then, finally, you have Junior in, on Balanquilla in the Caribbean coast, who are kind of the giants of that region. Um, there are other teams, but they're the only really huge team from the Caribbean area. Uh, and they are kind of a one club in that region. So those are the kind of the biggest clubs, the big seven and then you have the coffee region, which has Once Caldas, uh, Tolima, um, Pereira has a few clubs in that region as well, which is interesting. And then there are then there are a few clubs from other areas, uh, Pasto, um, which are kind of again clubs of that region. And then there are smaller clubs who kind of operate in Bogota, in Medellin, in Cali, kind of on the peripheries of the city. Much smaller fan base, but some have interesting identities. As I said, Envigado is the big academy. Uh, Lequidad is a, a team that competes quite well. But those seven are the big ones. Then you've got the coffee region sides and a few others. Um, so there's maybe 11, 12 with a, with a great deal of history. And then there are some smaller clubs as well in the league. 
It's interesting that you mentioned the coffee region as well, because I'm I'm right in thinking, hopefully, that uh, the nickname of the Colombian national team comes from its coffee growing heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, los cafeteros, right? The coffee, the coffee growers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So does that play a role in the support of the national team? That nickname, or is it just sort of something that's there that doesn't really hold any significance? No, it doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't really have much impact. I mean, in terms of the identity of the national team, I think if you look back to 2014, um, that particular squad was was a great source of pride, not only not only for their achievements, you know, doing well in the World Cup, catching the attention in the World Cup, but how the players carried themselves and how they were reflective of the country. You know, you saw the players dancing a bit of salsa choque, like urban salsa when they scored a goal. You saw the joy they had on the field. You saw how diverse the group was you know, with Afro-Colombians and, and indigenous influence, you know, uh, with Teofilo Gutierrez. And you had also, um, you know, lighter skinned Colombians. You had a kind of a real reflection, but everyone coming together um, from different areas of the country, from different cultures within the Colombian country, all kind of coming together, expressing themselves, enjoying themselves. So that's something that makes Colombians proud. I would say now the kind of big elephant in the room, which we haven't mentioned, um, which is something that's always brought up with Colombia, is drugs and is violence and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm and I'm kind of happy it hasn't. And I think Colombians would be as well. But what I would say is that um, that is often what what people around the world associate with Colombia: narcos, Pablo Escobar, and Colombians are very much aware that that is the stereotype of their country. So what they what they're really keen to show the world is another side of this this amazing country you know i could i could be anywhere in the world and i'm, and I'm right here in colombia it really is an amazing place so they're very very proud and very supportive of 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 any individual singer athlete group of athletes that kind of show the positive sides and the reason why people are so proud of their country so um i think that the national team is plays a very important role in in reflecting Colombia's diversity and its joy and its passion and its you know all of the great stuff uh, that this country has to offer the people are the nicest people in the world and if you want to uh, get on the good side of a Colombian then um, don't talk about Pablo Escobar don't talk about Narcos talk about talk about James talk about Shakira talk about J Balvin talk about coffee talk about anything else and um, they'll be delighted to have that conversation because they're very self-conscious they're very they're very aware that you mentioned Colombia, you'll mention things that have caused great suffering and caused great pain and, you know, resulted in the, the displacement of millions of people and the death of thousands. So, yeah, that's that's always something to consider um, with Colombia. It's it's raw. It's it's been almost wholly negative for the for the people in this country. So they're very happy to see Colombia represented in the world in a more positive way. Uh, and talking about all of the things that they're proud of and they they enjoy about their country. So the football team also plays a very important role in that regard. Yeah, and does the Colombian women's international team also play a similar role in inspiring people in Colombia and installing some national pride? As they are one of the better teams in South America and made it to the round of 16 of one of the recent World Cups. So do they have a similar profile in Colombian society? So women's football is, is a source of good pride for me in terms of Colombia and also massive frustration. The Colombian Women's League, which was launched a few years ago, the final of that competition was played in the biggest ever uh, attended women's league game in history. 
after six months, they filled the, the, the big stadium, El Campin in Bogota, uh, for a game with Santa Fe. Uh, and I think it's Wheeler. Uh, but they had a full stadium and it was incredible. And it was like, you know, people think of Colombia, they think of like macho culture. They think of perhaps some you know, casual sexism. And, and that can be an issue. But to see the way that the people embraced women's football, uh, and you know, I saw social media accounts, and and some guys, I can I get? I'd like to, how much? To, where can I get the shirt? And they say, do you want the men's shirt or the women's shirt? And you know, just the fact that it, both teams were treated equally, the men's team and the women's team, we had good attendances. Now that's the positive side of things, the way that people have embraced it. But the negative side of things is that the authorities haven't shared that enthusiasm. And the women's team, the national team has been treated poorly. Um, there's been a, a lot of controversies in, in how they've been treated. Um, and there's a lot of frustration because Colombia has a lot of women's football talent. If you go to the to the football pitches, there'll be women's teams playing really good level football, uh, despite obviously not having the same financial incentives as the, as the men's game. So Colombia has a lot of very talented female footballers and a lot of them are in Spain. A lot of them are Italy now doing well in Europe. Um, and there's a lot of enthusiasm in the country for the league, but the the league existed for two months last year. It's going to be a month and a half this year. And that just isn't something that can ever develop the professional game in this country. So uh, in terms of women's football, it's a source of great enthusiasm and pride, but also incredible frustration um, that the authorities are not sharing the the warmth and the affection and the enthusiasm of a lot of the fans uh, in, in recent years. So massive potential being massively held back by yeah authorities who aren't doing their bit, really. Yeah. And how does this enthusiasm display itself on a match day through banners, the sounds, the smells? Yeah. And, and it's very interesting as well, because, um, as I say, the kickoff times have been atrocious for women's games. But what what you found is that with the women's games, um, the fan base, you know, far more children, far more women in the, in the majority of the people in the crowd were women. You know, there were men there, of course, as well. It was a mix. But you had a real different feel in the stadium. It was really like a friendly, enthusiastic atmosphere, but also with drums, also with music, also with singing. It was an amazing atmosphere, um, despite the fact you had a 2 p.m. kickoff on a Wednesday, right? Yes, <laughs> There were better attendances for many of the women's games than we have for the men's games. So that was great. Um, there was a real difference between the men's and the women's side of things. In terms of the men's game, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the barras obviously lead the match day experience with banners, with, with flares. You know, they get there early. They barely watch the game. It's all about constant singing and singing and the difference between English football and Colombian football is the songs aren't always kind of a reflection of what's happening on the pitch the songs often give the rhythm to the play and obviously if things are going badly they'll let the players know <laughs> um, and there will be songs directed at the game and players you have to put in more eggs you have to <laughs> show more eggs uh, which I, maybe you can reverse translate um, but yeah so the atmosphere is amazing. On a big Libertadores night, it's just the songs will be in your head for weeks and weeks afterwards. The drums, there's maybe 30 drums along the front, lots of trumpets. And then you've got the hardcore fans leading the, the songs around the whole stadium and huge banners. You know, Medellin once had a banner that filled the entire stadium. Every single person had a single piece of material above their head. You know, hard to imagine, but it, it rolled down from the back and it literally covered every fan in the stadium, one single piece of, uh, of, of a banner. So, no, it's, it's a huge, huge deal. And the barras, uh, you know, can be problematic, can create violence, can create conflict. But 
in in a good scenario, what will happen is the Barras will work with the club, work with the police, and they will help to police the situation in the stadium. Um, as long as there's that input and that interaction, they can be a really positive force in terms of football, not only in the atmosphere, but they also help kind of manage things. They'll they'll control their own um, fans within the Barra. The Barra will have a kind of a different you know line of authority, so they'll be the head of the Barra, and then there'll be different blocks, different groups, you know, in different areas of the stadium. And as long as that's all working together with the police, then it can kind of help keep things safe and help prevent any uh, any conflicts. And uh, it can be amazing. And it's like a bottom up kind of movement. Uh, these guys are often day to day kind of the bottom of society, or, or they're they're seen as you know the poor guys, or they're seen as kind of the rebellious guys on the street, but when it comes to game day, these are the guys who are leading the singing, leading the the atmosphere, leading the, the community as they support the team. So it's a very interesting movement, uh, gets a negative reputation and, and sometimes rightfully so. But it can also be it can also be an amazing kind of spectacle and an amazing show of what's possible. These barras also are heavily involved in charity. During the pandemic, they were collecting food packages. They were providing for, for their communities. They raise money for education programs. They, at times, can lead uh, anti-discrimination movements. Um, and again, that, that isn't always the case, but these are big community projects that can manifest in, 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 in violence and conflict, but also can be the solution to a lot of the problems in, in their communities. So very, very interesting kind of uh, way things operate within the football fan groups. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of the fans in Colombia are a force for good. And just one final thing to finish on, what do you think are the future prospects of the Colombian national team and Colombian football over the next year or two with the Copa America and the 2022 World Cup? More generally, I I think the same as exists with Brazil exists with Colombia in as far as the potential, the talent, the, the level of quality, the level of potential is incredible, is as good as any place in the world. But I think this, as with Brazil, they have amazing players, but are still behind in terms of ideas, in terms of coaching, in terms of tactics. That isn't the case of Argentina, and it definitely isn't the case of Uruguay. Uruguay, you know what you get, right? They, they make the most, they squeeze the most of all of the talent that they have. A tiny country of four million people, and they can produce world-class players every year. I think Colombia and Brazil have a far greater pool of talent to work with, um, but are still not quite... Uh, getting the most of the potential so hopefully that continues to improve hopefully we have the influence of of ideas from around the world and there's an interchange of of ideas and and perhaps some of the kind of less progressive coaches are are less important so we'll see what happens but I think overall Colombia is looking at a a much much deeper squad of top tier talent Um, as I said you know there are players who won't get in the next Colombian Copa America squad or who won't be involved in the Olympic, uh, the World Cup qualifying, who would have been the main man uh, 15 years ago. So that's definitely a positive thing. I think Colombia should be in the conversation for World Cup qualifiers. I think if you look on quality alone, uh, you have uh, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina and Uruguay, I think should be the four who automatically qualify for the World Cup. Now, we know that probably won't happen or be that straightforward, but I think those four countries have shown that on paper, um, over a long World Cup qualifying tournament, they should qualify as the top four. We'll see what happens. Uh, Colombia have had a disastrous last game against Ecuador where they got absolutely destroyed. Uh, there's some really interesting emerging nations in South America. Um, but I think, you, you know, a, a competitive Copa America and then back into the top four in, in World Cup qualifying would be a, would be a great process. And, uh, 
you know, as I say, Colombia missed out on three consecutive World Cups. So to then have three back to back would be would be progress. And uh, once you're once you're there, once you're in the group stage, once you get to the knockout stage, you know, who knows what can happen? They came very close against England, despite not playing anywhere near their best. So I think uh, lots of reasons to be positive moving forward for Colombia. Yeah, excellent. So we'll wrap it up there. So I'll say thanks very much, Simon, for coming on for this conversation. No, you're welcome. Thanks very much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Corners of the World. And thanks once again to Simon for his participation. If you want to hear more episodes, including one on Colombia's eastern neighbours Venezuela, then head on over to the URB podcast page on your favourite streaming service. Alternatively, you can go to the brand new Corners of the World website, which can be found at cornersotworld.wordpress.com, where all the podcasts have been collated together. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at CornersOTWorld. Be sure to keep up to date so you know when the next episode is released, and I hope you'll join me again for another exploration of football culture around the world.